Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And I'm Adam Vingan. You can find me at sportsnet.ca. All right, that's a lot of places to find us. Uh, Twitter, by the way, is the worst of all of them. At least you two have like quality places to distribute your thoughts, as well as the podcast, which, of course, is brought to you by Jaspers. I'm not sure how much time we have to talk about Jaspers today on the show, boys, uh, but good to have you. We do appreciate your time, Adam. Um, we obviously, Michael and I have spent a lot of time over the last month and a half, two months, six years, <laughs> whatever you want to call it discussing the future of John Hines. We told people to be patient last week on the show that did not want him to return as the head coach. Sure enough, early this week, John Hines has been dismissed uh, along with Dan Lambert, of course, the power play coach extraordinaire that didn't deliver much power play to the Nashville Predators. Um, But we're going to we're going to discuss all the ins and outs of the movement. Barry Trotz making a big decision like this. We've got a lot to discuss. Defining the John Hines era. Who is Andrew Brunette? Of course, many Preds fans from back in the day know about him. Uh, but who is he as a head coach? Because he is your new hockey coach for the Nashville Predators. Uh, go to Jaspers, everybody. So I, there's not... I spent a lot of time, uh, boys, trying to figure out like what's the right question to ask to start this very long, meandering, and complex conversation. And there's not really one that we can start with. Maybe other than, and I'll start with you, Michael. Why is John Hines no longer the head coach of the Nashville Predators? Well, because he has a 134, 95, and 18 record and what three playoff wins in four years. He he just he was supposed to be an upgrade over Peter Laviolette, and he clearly wasn't. And I think it's evident from what Barry Trot said in the the press release that uh, they're they're making this decision now because they want to be more offensive. They want to be more skilled. They want to play faster. And I think that was the antithesis of what John Hines could not get this team to do is he wanted to, he wanted to play this stodgy wear you down kind of grinding mentality, so to speak, like way they play. And that just, it wasn't working. And I think, and props to Barry Trotz because John Hines is more similar of a head coach to Barry Trotz than he was to like, say Peter Laviolette. Um, so I think it's it's just kind of I think it all comes down to this. The top players on this team have been underperforming for for years now. And I think Barry has identified that Andrew Burnett is possibly the guy to kind of bring them out of their funk and get more out of them. And he's, uh, you know, he's a highly skilled or he's a high, highly thought of offensive mind. Um, and I think that they believe that he's the guy who can come in and kind of fix the offense, maybe get more out of the power play. And this team could could be can put a more entertaining, more offensive product on the ice. Jason Brock, who works for Sportsnet in Vancouver, had a tweet this morning that I, I thought was pretty funny. He quote tweeted our friend Joe Rexrode, who tweeted Barry Trotz's quote about Andrew Burnett wanting the team to become more of an offensive team. And Jason said, quote, Barry Trotz is lucky Barry Trotz wasn't the GM back when Barry Trotz was Nashville's head coach. <laughs> um, just because it does feel sort of out of character to hear Barry Trotz talk about wanting to become more of an offensive team when most of his time as a coach in the NHL, he was coaching teams similar to the style that the Predators were playing under John Hines. But you know, at my initial reaction to the, to the move, specifically the hiring of Andrew Burnett, is I would expect a more entertaining product on the ice 
just because under Brunette, the Panthers last season were one of the most freewheeling teams in the league in terms of scoring chance generation off the rush. They love to play up and down the ice. It was a speed game. It was a skill game. And it didn't work for the Panthers in the postseason last year. They were swept in the second round. Um, and Paul Maurice came in and has changed the way they played. Um, but it was entertaining. Uh, the Florida Panthers averaged 4.11 goals per game last season in all situations. Not only did that lead the league last season, that is the highest single season per game average of the salary cap era by any team. No team since 2005, 2006 has scored more goals per game in a season than the Panthers did last season. Now, it's important to note the type of players that the Panthers had last season versus the type of players the Predators will have this coming season. So do not expect the Panthers to, I mean, excuse me, do not expect the Predators to become this offensive juggernaut who averages more than four goals per game. But I would expect the Predators to be a more entertaining team to watch, which is not something we've been able to say over the past few years. So I, I think maybe more broadly, and Gover kind of asked this question on It's All Your Fault. Check out that podcast as well. Um, did, did John Hines get fired because the Preds couldn't score? I, I think that maybe is a bit reductive. Um, but I do think that's kind of what you both just said. And I want to get more into who Andrew Burnett is maybe in a little bit, because I'm, I'm interested in the process of all of this. There were a couple of other names that were, were mentioned. Michael, I believe you reported and, and Nashville Hockey Now has reported this, that both Spencer Carberry and Carl Taylor were also interviewed, that those are the three finalists. And one of the biggest questions to me, and, and this was the entire vibe I had sitting at the press conference when David Poyle announced his retirement and we sat on the floor of Bridgestone Arena and, uh, you know, Barry Trotz kind of took over, at least, you know, figuratively at the time, what was that this is either going to be the greatest move in Predators history because it's so insular and because people love Barry Trotz and it's going to work. And if it does, people will be it will be viewed as like one of the most important and pivotal moves in franchise history. Or it's going to be viewed as the most Nashville Predators thing of all time, and it's going to fail. And it's so much like the Preds for Barry Trotz to announce that he's firing a coach and, and technically hiring a coach within the same day or within two days. And it's a very Predators-ish type of move. And the pendulum does swing, right? You go from Barry Trotz to Peter Laviolette. You go from one style to the next. Then you go back to the other style with, with John Hines. Now you're going back to the other style uh, from a perception standpoint with Andrew Burnett. Um, does this signal in your mind with Barry Trotz? I, number one, any new general manager or athletic director is always going to want to hire their person. This is human, human stuff, right? Like no one is going to put their own job on the line for someone they didn't hire. Like that's just normal human psychology and behavior. So it's very normal for Barry Trotz to want his own person to be in charge. Andrew Burnett, of course, played for Barry Trotz in the AHL. If you do not know that, uh, we'll go back and we'll explain a little bit more about that, but I want to know what does this signal about the the Predators way? Is it a new way or is it the old way? Barry Trotz went and evolved and won a cup. What what? How do we feel about how this has all happened, how it's gone down, the selection process from Poyle to Trotz, from Hines to Brunette? Is, is it same old, same old? Or does it indicate some sort of new strategy or new style? The answer is yes. I think it's, I think it's bold. I think it's, I think it's the old predator way, so to speak, of Barry going out and getting someone he's familiar with, someone he's comfortable with, someone who has ties to the team, 
it was a very David Poyle like move uh, going out and getting someone that already has ties to the team that could potentially be easier to work with with Barry. But I also think it goes against kind of what they traditionally done because they were interviewing coaches while they still had a head coach employed. They were also taking time to go through and they were, and it felt like they were trying to keep all this on the DL too. Like they were trying to have the quietest head coaching search in, in NHL history while also still having a head coach under contract. Um, and I think that it goes against what they've traditionally done because John Hines, I mean, we, we've seen some say Peter Laviolette may have been kept it a year longer too. We've seen coaches traditionally here get the benefit of the doubt and maybe stay a little bit longer than they probably should have. And it almost just felt like this, this year in particular, was set up to keep John Hines. He had one year left on his contract. You let him play it out, see what happens. Maybe he takes him on a run and earns and earns another contract. But also, I, I think it was good for Barry to go out and find someone who is not traditionally what kind of fits the mindset of what he's been and what he what he's done as a coach and go out and get someone that is an offensive mind that can go out and maybe turn around a power play that can, especially with, with all the young forwards like Luke Evangelista, Igor Afanasiev, Phil Tomasino, all those guys. I think getting someone that is an offensive-minded coach like Andrew Burnett, I think that factored into this because Barry Trotz basically when in his introductory press conference basically said, like, he isn't thinking of what can we do with this team next year. He's thinking of four or five years down the road. And I think that the forward depth that this team has, they wanted to get a head coach that could potentially maximize all that talent. And, the, and I think they knew that John Hines wasn't that guy. Well, I, I agree with Michael on a lot of those points. I, I think oftentimes – in not just sports, but in all walk of life, in all walks of life, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And and Andrew Brunette and Barry Trotz have known each other for a long time, um, even beyond their, you know, their NHL days when they were in the minor leagues. I believe Barry coached Andrew Brunette in the American League. I, if just, I'm not- I just said that, Adam. Thanks for listening. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> But I'm repeating it in case listeners just skip past your part because they wanted to talk to me. They wanted to hear what I had. That's that's fair. That's valid. Anyway. <laughs> but to that point, uh, you know, it is it is interesting to to see how Barry Trotz or, to, you know, how we assume Barry Trotz has uh, has evolved just because like that tweet I read earlier, you know, Barry Trotz was the antithesis of an offensive-minded coach when he, uh, especially when he was here. Now, when he was in Washington, he had more to work with, um, and, and his teams in Washington were able to score and defend. The issue when he was hired in Washington for the Capitals was, you know, can this team learn to defend on top of its excellent offense at the time? And they were able to do that. And in New York, when he had a team similar similar to the ones he had in Nashville with the Islanders, I should say, not you know, of course, everybody knows that, but to direct, to, just to specify, um, you know, those teams played a, a defensive style as well, and 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 they had success at that as well. So, you know, the one thing that you can say about Barry Trotz, you know, having been around for as long as he has, is you know, he, I I trust his judgment about where the game is going. And this roster with the younger players, you know, did, it seems like a team that would fit better under a run and gun, for lack of a better term, style offense than the grinding and cycling kind of game that they were playing before. So it, it certainly makes sense from a stylistic standpoint. Um, you know, what I'm interested in, and I know we'll get into this, is just how 
this whole process went down. And I'm very interested to hear how or if Barry Trotz divulges exactly how this quote unquote evaluation process went down over the past several weeks. Because I'll use a word that Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff used to describe this process in a tweet, which from afar I agree with. Clunky. I just it it feels yep. feels like it feels like the coaching search of a rookie executive. Like we we trust Barry Trotz. I think you know I think fans trust Barry Trotz just because he has the skins on the wall, so to speak. But he has the skins on the wall as a coach. Now, he is a smart enough man to, I think, transition into management rather smoothly, but I feel like this was his first test as an executive, and I think it could have gone a little better than it did. But this is just my view from afar, and, and I'm curious for how you guys think about that. Well, I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a major question is the, this entire process. Now, we are obviously recording this um, before the Predators actually speak on Wednesday afternoon. We want to I do have over. a little insight into that. Yeah, no, um, we're gonna. We're. I want to. I want to talk about it, Michael, because I know you've got okay. a lot of process stuff. But I just want to let everybody know we're recording this before th- they actually have their announcement press conference. We wanted to get you something as kind of as soon as possible. And I, I do think that unless he says, and this will go out of date very quickly, unless he says, I told John Hines at on day one that he was not going to be our head coach and that we were going to conduct a search and he was on the up and up with John Hines, then I agree with Adam. It was incredibly clunky. It it doesn't, I don't know if it matters because if they got the right guy and in the end they found the right person that they wanted and he hired the right person that he wanted and it was his top choice, that we don't know that. And I doubt he admits that. Every coach has ever been hired is always somebody's number one choice. Um, I, you know, there's not really much he could say to us other than I told John Hines the first day that I was announced as the future GM that we were going to do a coaching search behind the scenes, unless he was completely honest with Hines, then this is very much a maybe you could have done it better with John Hines. The search process itself, Michael, which I'll let you explain, I, I don't I actually don't have a problem with the three names they interviewed, the, those three names being at the top of his list and the guy they ended up picking. We'll find out together if it was the right choice or not. Um, but if they end up with the right guy, then the process is largely irrelevant. I I do believe that John Hines could have been treated maybe a little bit better publicly, but also I don't know what situation he's not even the acting GM technically. So I don't even know what situation it's just the whole that's I think that's where the clunky part comes in, Michael. Yeah, the insights that I have into this, and this is I don't know when this happened, but from what I was told, Barry went to John Hines and said, look if the right person or the right candidates become available, I'm going to at least explore that. And he said that John knew that John knew from kind of day one where he stood with Barry and where he's with the team. Um, I don't know if that happened as soon as the press conference ended where David Boyle announced he was stepping down. I don't know if that happened when the the final whistle for the, for the, the regular season finale happened. I don't, I don't know when this happened, but I, I was told that Barry at least went to John Hines and told him if the right person becomes available, I'm going to at least explore that. And I think, and coupled with that, I think, and I, I haven't been able to confirm this yet. I'm still working on that, but I, I think from what I'm gathering the context of this, that John Hines was also given permission to explore possible other jobs. And I, and I've heard from several people that, 
there have been numerous teams that have called the Predators over the last week or so inquiring about John Hines and his availability because he was still technically under contract until yesterday and they had to they had to get permission from the Predators to speak to John Hines. So there is interest in John Hines out there from other teams. I know that's going to get a, a big groan from the fan base, but I, I do think John Hines will probably have another job, whether it's a head coaching job this year or it's an assistant route, kind of like Andrew Burnett didn't didn't get hired, um, didn't. They, he wasn't retained with Florida, takes a year, assistant coach with New Jersey, and then he gets another head coaching job. That could be the, the the trajectory that John Hines is on. But from what I was told, they were very clear and upfront with John Hines that they were going to explore their options if they if they thought the right person was going to be there, which it turns out it was. And I think they kind of kept him in the loop. Should they have probably cut bait with him and, and just let him go out and make him a free agent? If Because if you're considering a change, you're basically telling John Hines, look, you're okay, but we like these other three guys better. And if any one of them say yes, we're taking them. But if they reject us, like we still need you over here. And that that's not really fair to him. So I think John Hines was kept in the loop this entire time. But also, like it does look a little sketchy the way they went about it. So so I want real, real one real quick note. It sounds like what I just heard is that Barry Trotz got the job. It was announced he was the new GM. He took John Hines to Jaspers. They sat down. They had a couple beers. They had a couple gold standard cocktails. They had a beautiful hamburger, smash burger, some tornado fries, maybe some collie poppers, played some air hockey in the game room for free, talked about life, family, and said, hey, maybe you're not good enough for me. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. That's what I heard. You just report. Michael Gallagher just reported that Barry Trotz and John Hines uh, parted ways at Jasper's on West End where the parking is, in fact, free. Is that is that what you're just report? Is that what you reported just now? I don't even know how to respond to that. That is so far from from what I said. I, yeah, I'm not listening if, Barry, if, if Barry Trotz hasn't been to Jasper's, someone needs to to open his eyes to to Jasper's yeah, breaking there though. Because well, Substop or whatever it's called that he used to love when he was here is no longer here. No, no free shouts. Go to Jasper's. Um, Adam, 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 the process exists anymore. Go, go, go the the process with which this was handled. Here, here's the thing, Adam. Couldn't this like contract, this feels a lot like contract negotiations in a professional sport for an athlete. Like they always kind of feel disjointed. They feel clunky publicly while the agent and the GM are behind the, the scenes negotiating, right? Like, doesn't it kind of feel like that where there's, there's something happening behind, but publicly it kind of feels like, you know, Hey, Kevin Byard's not going to be at OTAs because he's unhappy because Rand Carthon asked him to take a pay cut. So now they're doing a negotiation. But then as soon as the contract is finished, all is well and everybody's happy and it's perfect. Is that is that an accurate way to describe some of this? Is like by the, at the end of all of this, Barry Trotz is going to take over on July one with a new head coach, and that's it, right? Isn't that and and frankly, some new assistants, which we'll get into. Maybe Andrew Burnett is not picking. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, to to Michael to Michael's point, you know, I, I think for the past several, you know, my understanding over the past several weeks, John Hines has been basically sitting at home and waiting to hear about the status of his job. It, it wasn't as if though he was in the office, you know, doing work to prepare for next season or what have you, or the off season. I think he was just, you know, they both, they, I, it sounds like they basically told him to, you know, we'll, you know, cool your heels and we'll uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And, you know, I always thought that one of the oddest fan conspiracy theories about this process was that John Hines has known that he was no longer going to be the coach, but the Predators just chose 
to announce it now because they got their guy. You know, as has as has been said, John Hines found out yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, May 30th, that he was no longer going to be the coach of the Nashville Predators. And and it's interesting because you know, I, I tweeted yesterday when the when the news broke that from afar it felt like the Predators did John Hines a little dirty. And I was actually somewhat surprised by the the response to that tweet, there were people who actually said, yeah, I can kind of see it that way. Of course, there were people who, Braden, here it comes, who cares? He was a bad coach. He deserves it. You know, that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. I hadn't done the voice in a I'm, while. I'm very aroused. Thank you for that. Oh, that's disgusting. Um, <laughs> so there were, there were some of that crap. And look, you could, like John Hines did not accomplish what the Predators had hoped he would accomplish when he was here. But that doesn't mean that the way he was let go could have been done more smoothly. And, and that's and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Andrew Brunette has been available, meaning his team had been eliminated from the postseason for three weeks. Now, why could why couldn't have the Predators? And this is a question that Barry might answer later today. Why didn't the Predators let John go three weeks ago? As Michael said, the fact that they were talking to other people and John was aware of that, clearly he wasn't going to be their top choice. So right. just let him go. Like, that's what I'm saying. That's right. that's the issue that I have with it. They should, as soon as Barry and whomever else made the decision that we are going to interview other people and if we get our way, we're going to have a new head coach, let John go. Because it wasn't as if though, let's just say, for example, Spencer Carberry takes the job in Washington, which he did. Brunette turns them down. Carl Taylor has been reported as the third finalist. You think Carl Taylor was going to say no to that job? Yeah, like, that's true. they were going to have a coach. It wasn't like it was like, well, if we don't get this guy and we don't get this guy and we don't get this guy, then we'll have John. If you're John Hines, talk about having a vote of no confidence coming back, you know, coming back for the final year of your contract after, you know, the your new boss swung and missed on multiple other people he wanted more than you i just think that if they would have fired john hines three weeks ago we would have all been like yeah that makes sense yeah. but i just think the way that they did it was the you know here's a here's a, a journalism word we all love the optics of the situation do not reflect well on the predators in this situation and i, I agree with it to, to that point too like the fact that they made john hines attend the end of season press conference and sit up there and have all these reporters ask barry trotz and david Poyle about the future about his status with the team. And then for John to sit there, basically knowing in the back of his mind, there's probably a good chance I'm not coming back next year. And now I have to sit here and answer questions about it and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with, with them bringing, dragging it out through the summer and going through all this stuff because like Spencer Carberry was in the playoffs and they had to wait for, wait to interview him until uh, Toronto was eliminated, stuff like that. But the issue I have is to, to Adam's point, if, if Carberry and Brunette and Taylor were your three finalists, even if the first two say no, Carl Taylor is already with the organization. There, there's, I don't want to say a zero, but a very close to 0% chance he's going to turn that down. Why make John Hines go through six and a half weeks of this and sit up in an end of, end of season media availability and answer questions about his future with the team when pretty much everyone in the room knew he probably wasn't coming back? That is that is the part that I think is a little shady. So so I agree with both of you guys, and I think this will lead into sort of the other quick narrative thing that's taking place out there amongst fans about John Hines and some media people, which is context around all of this. And while I agree with both of you, it could have been handled more smoothly. 
no, we're in a very unique situation in that Barry Trotz technically isn't even the acting GM. I think this is clearly a sign that Barry Trotz is, in fact, has final edit, as we say in the reporting business right now. Um, he's got final say on things, and that is why, even though he's not technically the GM, I think fans now can assume that he's got final say on the draft picks coming up two days before. He's actually the general manager. So I think there is there is some weirdness here with with Trotz and Hines and Poyle and all the moving parts. But I agree. I technically agree with both of you guys. However, the the fans are happy with the move. Barry Trotz knew that all along. Um, doesn't mean it was the right decision to not kind of string John Hines along here. Uh, but I think that the context is important. He's not technically the GM right now. It's, it's you know, like you said, maybe Carberry was his number one choice and you couldn't get to him. Um, but I agree. Carl Taylor was never going to say no. Carl Taylor has been very open with me on this show about wanting an NHL job. Uh, he has said very openly that that exact phrase. And uh, there's a good chance he's probably going to replace Dan Lambert on this coaching staff as the, the third assistant. It does appear that Dan Hynote and Todd Richards will be retained which also, again, we'll get into Andrew Burnett's tenure and his coaching staff. Like He's not even maybe picking these guys, which is interesting to me. Um, not sure the knowledge and insight from Dan Lambert, quote-unquote, on uh, the power play worked out. Uh, 25th, 23rd, 6th, nice job, and then 27th, um, three god-awful power plays uh, from a guy who... Do I? What did I tell you? <laughs> uh, three god awful power plays. Um, by the way, it, and I think this was in the National Hockey Now story, nationalhockeynow.com, about all the Devils numbers from last year, of which, of course, Brunette was a part of. One of the top power play, a uh, top, uh, top half, top third power play, top five scoring offense. Obviously, you saw what the Devils did last year. Um, but there's also context around Hines that I think is misleading. Like people are like, oh, I think he's a pretty good coach. And I was talking to some media people on Twitter about this. Plenty of fans have said this. Uh, people got into my mentions about this, like, well, no, I th he, he's a pretty good coach. Mm. And then they package it with, well, they kind of didn't treat him correctly at the end of all of this. Well, no one's going to remember, again, if Andrew Burnett's the right guy. But I, I don't think anybody doesn't know the context of John Hines. Like, we've, we've said it on this show a dozen times that he wasn't dealt a good hand. We've all, we all know that COVID happened. No one's forgotten about COVID. No, no one no one has forgotten that the season started in the middle of January with no preseason. No one has forgotten that the Devils had a terribly young and inexperienced team when he was the head coach. No one has forgotten all of the injuries that John Hines has dealt with and the youth that he has played with. No one has forgotten any of that. But at some point, if you are elite, if you are great, and you've had eight seasons coaching in the NHL, you would have won a playoff series or finished higher than fourth in the division. Like you at some point you are what you your record says you are. Two things can be true. He was dealt a bad hand in some tough situations a number of times and he never really got the job done. And that is to me why they're moving on. Like that, that I don't have a problem with that. I'm with you guys. Could they have handled it a little better? Fine. I think the end result for fans is going to be very satisfactory. A new coach is in charge of the Nashville Predators. And we, yeah. we said this, we talked about this before we started recording. Look at last year. If John Hines wasn't one of those elite coaches, you think being handed a, a Vezina caliber goalie, a Norris caliber defenseman, 240 goal scorers, one of the best defensive groups the team has had probably in the last four or five years, you think that would have been the year that he would have been able to put it all together. And I think that he had so much talent on that team last year, and it almost was still surprising that the Predators even made the playoffs. I think that that kind of said everything we need to know about John Hines as a head Re record record setting seasons from the stars and yeah. Ellie Tolvanen. And it wasn't enough. So.
Yeah, I mean, look, John John Hines is not infallible. He he certainly, you know, he certainly has you know his faults as a coach, and and there were some positives during his time. And like you said, Braden, we don't need to go over you know, the timeline of everything that's happened, you know, between January of 2020 and, you know, April of 2023. We we all, everyone who's on this show and, and who's listening to it lived it. We we understand it. But, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I'm sure John will end up on a bench somewhere, uh, you know, at, in, at the NHL. I, I always think it's funny, you know, people who are very anti-Hines were like, he's never going to get another NHL job again, or he's going to be an AHL coach, no. or he should be an AHL coach. That was, I, a, that was a voice opportunity, Adam. Come yes, on. It was, it was like a half voice. <laughs> I mean, I, I, will, I will make a guarantee on this program. Oh. John Hines will be an NHL coach of some kind next season. He will be, a, you know, he will either get a head job, which I would probably bet unlikely but i am he will be on an nhl bench he will be an assistant or associate coach next season and you know one landing spot which is actually kind of interesting as uh as you know as reported by the athletic you know the minnesota wild are in need of an assistant coach um it would be kind of interesting if john hines <laughs> benches dean evison i actually think it would be funnier if john hines ended up on the same bench as peter laviolette can you imagine those conversations um but um, which which by the way i want to make sure i remember this I, I don't mean to interrupt i'm sorry but like when he was hired john hines complete and total breath of fresh air like i was on the radio at the time and we would switch mid we were doing interviews every third week with peter laviolette and we, then we would do interviews with john hines and i was like holy shit this is like talking to a human being who's willing to give us analysis, thoughtful reasons why things were working, why things were not working. He was insightful. He was kind. He was thoughtful. It was a complete breath of fresh air. As we have said many times on this show, John Hines, wonderful man, average hockey coach. Yeah, selfishly, selfishly, you know, I, le I learned a lot from John Hines. John Hines made me better at, at, at reporting on hockey and understanding concepts and you know, he was always good to me. And there were plenty of people on Twitter yesterday that said the only reason why I was defending John Hines was because he was nicer to me than Peter Laviolette. That, <laughs> I mean, it is true that he was nicer to me than Peter Laviolette. Almost every other media person in Nashville would say the exact same thing. Yeah, that's I, a low bar. I, I, think <laughs> that, uh, I, I think that John has good qualities as a coach. I do think he is an effective communicator. The problem is it just did not translate to on ice results, but I do believe that John will, I, 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 their teams have already reached out to John Hines about potential, you know, through, you know, through intermediaries or feeler, you know, giving, you know, putting out feelers to see what his interest would be. Um, Predators fans might not think that John Hines deserves another NHL job, but that's just way. That's just the way the league works. He's going to get another one. It, it may take him doing something like Andrew Burnett did, going to a, another team, being an associate coach or an assistant coach, and then potentially being uh, a candidate in the next round of head coaching vacancies. But you know, John did not accomplish what the Predators set out for him to accomplish. I do not think he is a bad coach. I, I think an average coach is an appropriate uh an appropriate uh tagline as you said Braden. and i think we talked about this previously you know john Hoy john hines excuse me always seemed like a transitional coach he always seemed like the coach that was 
who's going to get the Predators through the crap times they found themselves in when they fired Peter Laviolette, and, and he was going to get them to a place where the next coach could come in and get them back to where they're supposed to be. It didn't necessarily work out that way. But I do think that basically that's what John Hines was, was a transitional coach. And the whole time he had a Vesna caliber goaltender playing at an elite level for largely three of those seasons. Um, and without that, who knows what the record is? Uh, okay. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. Of course, this this wonderful and amazing product, the Gold Standard, brought to you by Jasper's, a proud pro- uh, proud partner of your Nashville Predators. Um, either way, I think fans are excited about Andrew Burnett, a new era. We'll we'll try to lay out some expectations for the new era. We'll try to we'll talk through what the coaching staff could look like. Um, obviously, offensive scoring is a big part of this conversation, as you guys have both already alluded to. Um, but I do want to quickly, and this has been overcovered, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but he did score, score the first goal in Nashville Predators history in what was called Nashville Arena at the time. I forgot because through all the different names, the Somay Center, the Gaylord Entertainment Center, Bridgestone Arena, I forgot that it was Nashville Arena for like a hot minute there at the very, very beginning. Um, did you say the Somay Center? The Somay Center. Yes, it was the Somay Center. Um <laughs> Not the uh, he, Summit Center. No, he, the Somay Center. And and shout out, I think Nick Nick Morgan wrote this like four four years ago, or whatever, for on the forecheck about uh actual the, the the actual unfolding of the very first goal in Predators history as scored by Andrew Burnett. Very bizarre retelling of the story. So it's interesting. Played eleven hundred games, forty nine years old, uh seven hundred thirty three points, sixteen years. Played for six different teams, as uh, I said, and then Adam repeated. Uh, he played for Barry Trotz in the AHL. Uh, so they have a very long relationship. He was 51-18-6 as the interim coach last year for the Panthers after they fired their coach. Michael, if you'd like to tell everybody why Joel Clinville was fired, please, by all means. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bad guy. All right, Sleep good. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, and and then he took over. I do. I, my first question is, why didn't he get the Panthers job full-time? What, what, I mean, the Panthers are in the Stanley Cup. Can't believe that thing just came out of my mouth. But the, but like why why would they pass on a guy who was led his team to the president's trophy and did a fantastic job by all accounts uh, with the offense with the players last year for the Panthers? Why did they go a different direction? You guys think? I don't. Yeah, I don't really know if there's a clear answer for that. The the thing that makes the most sense in my mind is maybe they wanted to make a clean break of anything Joel Quinville related. And Paul Maurice is, if you're sitting there among free agent coaches, Paul Maurice, pretty good option. And as we've seen, he's led them to the Stanley Cup final, um, a team that had the same record and largely looked like the National Predators for this season, gets into the playoffs and has a Predator-like 2017 run to the Stanley Cup final. But I think it was just, they wanted a clean, clean, uh, words are hard today. They wanted a clean break from anything Joe Quinville related. And unfortunately, he Quinville is the guy who brought in Andrew Burnett to the to the Panthers. So I mean, other than that, I don't know. I mean, he, the first President's Trophy franchise history. I mean, he they were scoring goals. They they looked like the best team in the NHL for all of last year. It didn't make sense to me. That's the only thing I can come up with. F- 51, 18, and six is ridiculous. I, I think it. If I recall some of the the coverage around it, purely based off of the on ice aspect of it. I think that the Panthers brain trust saw that the, the the style of play that found the Panthers so much success during the regular season did not work in the playoffs. And they felt like they needed to change the way they play, which also works in tandem with the trade they made to bring in Matthew Kachuk, because Kachuk is a different player than Jonathan Uberdo. 
And I think those two things worked hand in hand to get the Panthers where they are today. As I said earlier, you know, the Panthers are still a, a highly skilled team and they can still go up and down the ice, but they've, um, they've completely changed the way they play. You know, they dump in the puck a ton more. They create off the four check. They feast off of turnovers. You know, the other, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the Andrew Burnett Panthers did not do that or did not do that anywhere near as, as much. So, you know, I, I think it was just seeing that, you know, determining Arlo was very upset about the, the firing of Andrew Burnett, I guess, for the Panthers. But the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the Panthers decided that the, the style of play that they had last season was not conducive to postseason success. And they made that change. And it's obviously work. All right. So I want you guys to describe what you think this team now looks like. You've mentioned the offensive prowess. We've talked about the offensive job he did at Florida last year, the offensive job he did um with the devils this year as an assistant he was a power play guy as a player so he certainly has experience they fired dan lambert of course because of how poorly the power play was under his watch so michael we'll start with you and we can get to the coaching staff do we think carl taylor is going to be a part of this coaching staff with with high note and richards moving forward um and i think we would all agree that that would be a nice continuity play but we've also kind of been critical of the amount of continuity this organization tends to lean towards so what uh, speed, pace, tempo, these are all words that, that have been thrown around about Andrew Brunette's hockey team. Uh, it's very, it feels similar to the switch from Trotz to LaViolette, as Adam has pointed out. So what do we think the Andrew Burnett National Predators look like on the ice every night? Yeah, we've, we've been critical of the continuity, but I think it's because it's the continuity has been done in the wrong way. I feel like this is a step in the right direction. And look, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. The Milwaukee Admirals had the best power play in the AHL this year. 24.6%. Obviously, translating that from the AHL to the NHL, it's tough to, to say how that's going to happen. And that's not all Carl Taylor. He does have assistant coaches that help him with that as well. But, and like we said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, if you're considering making a change at head coach, who better to coach this team with as many young players as we think are going to be on this roster next year and the year after that, than Carl Taylor, the guy who's developed most of those guys in Milwaukee. It almost makes too much sense to promote Carl Taylor to the NHL, to replace Stan Lambert, to let him oversee and run the power play. It makes too much sense, so therefore the Predators probably aren't going to do it. But I do think it would be a great idea <laughs> if that were to happen. And, and we have a story up on Nashville Hockey now. Uh, this morning, Nick Kieser did a great job. He talked to Cliff Ronning and Jason Moore, two former teammates of Andrew Burnett with the, with the Predators in the inaugural season. And got a little bit of insight into, into what, into who he is as a player and as a coach. And I think Jason Moore said that he's very relatable to the players, especially the young players. And he made a point to talk about, he was only in Florida for one season, but he had a great rapport with the players, probably even more so than, than Joel Quinville did. And he's respected by the players. And that's something that I think was kind of called into question this year with John Hines and we can, Adam could do the voice, but the, the infamous meeting, that they had and how there was it was being reported that John Hines was kind of losing the locker room a little bit and they were kind of tuning him out. I don't think we would have to worry about that with Andrew Burnett because I do think he probably is a little bit more relatable to the players. Um, and then also I think Cliff Ronning said uh, just kind of the coach he is, he's going to let the top players have a little bit more freedom. And I think that's something John Hines was maybe a little hesitant to do. And maybe that's why they shifted to this new predator way where they're just going to play bully puck and just beat you into submission. I think that especially with players like Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, even throw Ryan Johansson in there, having the freedom to go out and play their game, I think is something that could potentially unlock a lot of things for, for, for players like that. Um, and I think Ronning said that 
he's going to let the checkers check, let the scorers go out and shoot, let the playmakers make their plays. And that he's just, he has a structure that just makes sense for getting the most out of teams with, with high powered offenses, which the predators, I don't consider them in that category, but the potential is at least there. So I, I think bringing in brunette, I think it's the right move at the right time, especially given the mix of veteran players and young players that we expect to be on this roster next year. And if, and if Luke Evangelista is on this roster, I think Andrew Burnett could, could be a fantastic head coach for him because we saw how good he was in the 20 something games. He was, he played in Nashville at the end of the season. We saw how good he's been in the playoffs. I, I don't know if he's NHL ready yet, but if you're going to take a chance and put him on the opening night roster, I think Andrew Burnett is a fantastic head coach to kind of ease him into a full-time NHL role. Yeah, I had honestly forgotten about the meeting. I, I really did. Um, that was that was a time, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting because you hear a lot about, you know, when a new coach comes in, not just not just in the hockey or with this with this team, but in most sports. But we'll focus it in on hockey. The first thing you always hear is, and this is not, I'm not, I'm not making fun of Michael at all when I say this, is He's going to let the players play like that's something you always hear. It's not, well, he's going to tighten things up and these guys are going to not have any room to be creative. <laughs> like you, you always hear that. And what's funny is I think back to when, when John Hines first became coach, one of the first things he did that caught a lot of attention was he was not afraid to, for lack of a better term, bench the top players. Ryan Johansson's not playing well. You'll get eight minutes of five on five ice time in this game. Philip Forsberg's not playing well. You'll get 14 minutes of total ice time in this game. Matt Duchesne, you'll sit in an entire third period if you don't play the way that we need to play. And I don't remember, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember a lot of people being like, what is John Hines doing? Because really the problem was, the pro I think one of the issues, and, and it's been a while, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is I felt like at the end of the Peter Laviolette era, there was no accountability. Like the top players could play and not perform well and still get the amount of ice time they were getting. Unless you're I, Kyle I, Turris. What? Unless you're Kyle Turris. Unless you're Kyle Turris, yes. Um, but it just feels like, you know, those types of players were had a lot of had a lot of leeway. And, you know, John Hines came in and was like, I'm not gonna give you that much rope if you're not gonna play the way that we need to play. Now you can argue that the way he wanted them to play was not the way that they were built to play. But I, I don't remember there being a lot of consternation about John Hines reducing players, top players ice time when they, when, when they weren't playing well, I right. actually think he was, I actually remember it being, you know, not applauded necessarily, but. Oh, oh yeah, it was. I, I applauded it. Right. So, well, you, okay, there you go. You applauded it. I mean, I, I probably agreed with it too. And I'm also skeptical because that is just my nature, but I'm also skeptical that, you know, that the top players on this team, the veterans forwards specifically have much more to unlock, you know, Matt Duchesne, like I'm like, I think Matt Duchesne and Philip Forsberg, this is, this is a hot take. So I'm prepared for it. I think they sort of fluke their way into their career years. I, I don't think that those, those years are representative of the types of players that Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne are. I just don't. I think they are what they were before that, like 30, you know, 30 goal, 60 point guys. And if that's what Andrew Burnett gets out of them, great. But I don't, I don't, and I don't think that Philip Forsberg's, Philip Forsberg's going to become an 85, 90 point player 
under Andrew Burnett. And at the end of next season, you can play this back and rub it in my face. If I'm well, wrong, that would require him to be an 82 game player. That is and, true. And Philip Forsberg is not an 82 game true. player. Like, no, I, is I, though I, Cole Smith. Yes. Cole Smith <laughs> and Dan high still on the staff. Tommy, um, no, Tommy Novak bitches. Right. Like, <laughs> like this idea, like I, I do think that Andrew Burnett will be better for them in terms of, like I said, at the top being an entertaining product. But if you just, if, I mean, I don't think anyone's thinking this, but if you think that all of a sudden Philip Forsberg's going to score 50 goals next season, you know, yeah, yeah, I'd like to have what you're smoking. Uh, do, do we, do we think quick, quick, short answer here. Do we think the product will be more entertaining and they will score more goals? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well then that there's your, there's your explanation for some of the move. Now, what are expectations? If, I guess coaching staff should Carl Taylor. I mean, I know Michael, you have long been on the Carl Taylor needs to be on this staff movement. Uh, I've largely agreed with that. Adam, are you on board with Carl Taylor being on this staff? I, th- I think the more important question is maybe allowing Andrew Burnett to make the decision who's on his staff. That's the more intriguing angle to all of this for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just based on merit, I think Carl Taylor has earned an opportunity to be an NHL assistant coach. I, I'm not sure he's ready for a head coaching job, but I, I do think he's ready for an assistant coaching job. And, um, you know, it helps to have for Brunette, although he has some head coaching experience to have Todd Richards on his staff who has, you know, multi, you know, has head coaching experience himself. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if the, if that spot, if, if they just say, Hey, it's going to be Carl Taylor. Can you be okay with that? Or if he's going to hire his own guy and I don't know who that guy would be, but Yes, I do think Carl Taylor, either in Nashville or somewhere else, has earned an opportunity to coach at the NHL level. Michael, Michael, Michael agrees so much with Carl Taylor that he doesn't have anything to say. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going to chime in with something. But yeah, I, I agree with Adam. Whether whether Carl Taylor is ready for an NHL coaching job right now, I'm not 100% convinced that's true. I, I, I'm probably like 92% there. Um, I think when he when he filled in for uh, John Hines during the the COVID stuff, when the entire coaching staff missed uh, missed some time with with COVID related illnesses and all that stuff, I think that kind of gave Carl Taylor a little bit of confidence that he could potentially do do be a head coach in the NHL and be successful, and that kind of gave him a little bit of a taste of the good life. And I, as you said, uh, Carl Taylor is very adamant about wanting to be an NHL head coach. I think. I think Carl Taylor's career trajectory is going to follow the same that Spencer Carberry's did, where he's too good to be an AHL head coach, but he's probably not quite ready to be an NHL head coach. Some team, if the Predators are smart, it should be them. But some team will give him a shot to be an assistant coach somewhere. Maybe he takes a season or two and he coaches the Predators to the number two ranked power play over a two-year period. I doubt that happens, but maybe that's something that, that he could potentially do. And I think Showing what he could do as a specialized coach, as an assistant coach in the AHL, could potentially earn him an NHL head coaching job two or three years from now, just like Carberry landed one with Washington. You know, I had I, talking through this. Number one, kind of forcing two or three assistants onto your new head coach is not exactly great, but they are all quality names in our opinion. I guess we still don't know what's going to happen with the other two guys. In theory, it seems like they're going to be retained, but obviously, when Andrew Burnett takes over, he could make any moves he wants at any point, along with Barry Trotz. Um, but here's the other angle, and I hadn't thought about this. And I, ideally, everyone's big boys and they're adults. If you do bring Carl, Carl Taylor on and you say to Andrew Burnett, we need you to take Carl Taylor as an assistant coach, the guy that was competing with you for the head coaching job 
there's a human element in there that is complicated for both of them. Do I think they can get over it as adults? Yeah, I think they should. But it doesn't mean that there's not something there. Like there's a human side of this where one guy and the other guy were trying for the same job. They gave it to the, to, to, to Brunette and then they forced Taylor on Brunette and they both wanted the job. He was the guy who finished behind him in the coaching search. There, there, there is a little bit of awkwardness there. Again, one conversation can end all of that, but just something that popped into my head as you guys were talking about this, like it, it would be like like all of us trying for the same job, and then we all have to work together afterward when you know Michael got the job. Like it was that there is some weird human side to that, right? Yes, this is what <laughs> happens when you have a dog and a baby. <laughs> He's not a baby, by the way. Arlo, not a baby anymore. Okay? He's a toddler. He's a large baby. Does he toddle or does he walk? He he's a little he, he toddles he toddles okay, okay. still toddling all right uh, expectations for Andrew Burnett's predators over the next year I want to know what you guys think about year number one what are reasonable expectations and then of course I want to know what do we what what are the ex I mean obviously win a Stanley Cup championship is the goal of every GM and head coach so there's we kind of we, we can kind of avoid that part of the conversation but what is reasonable to expect from this roster packaged with this new coach and the new GM and all the draft picks coming. Does it? It doesn't feel like the first year should be the year people should expect to see a ton of results. Maybe more entertaining hockey, maybe more fun hockey, but I'm not sure playoff hockey is what fans should expect. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't. Again, th this team was not good this year. John Hines led this team. They still almost made the playoffs, so I'm not going to rule anything out. They could potentially be a fringe bubble team next year. However, I th I think best case scenario year one of under Andrew Burnett. The fans kind of know where the team stands, where like what the identity is going to be. More goals, faster pace, all that stuff. I think seeing the tangible tangible results of that on the ice and knowing that Brunette, his system, his idea, his vision for the franchise is actually working, I think is what you realistically should expect. I also think given that you have Phil Tomasino, Luke Evangelista, Afanasiev, players like that, I think kind of knowing where they stand in the scheme of things if they do fit into the future of this franchise is something the fans should expect to like this whole time. Ellie Tolvin was in Nashville. Like he was this Uber hype prospect and we were just kind of waiting for him to blow the doors off and never really happened. John Hines had a minute out of the lineup. They eventually got rid of him. And now it looks like he's going to be a pretty good player in Seattle. I, I think you don't want that to happen again. And who knows that could have been the final nail in David Poyle or in uh, John Hines's coffin that, Ellie Tolvanen looks like he's going to be really good now, and John Hines couldn't find a way to get the kid into the lineup. I think with, with the forward depth, are you suggesting? Think, are you suggesting that the coach not finding a way to use a high quality player and the general manager giving him up for nothing is a is a negative? Michael? No, I would never never say that. Uh, but I think with with as we've talked about how great the forward depth is for this team in the pipeline, you have two first round picks, you have thirteen picks in this draft. I think setting. Having a clear direction of where this franchise is going and knowing that the young guys are going to be a part of it and they're not just going to keep sending, trading them off and bringing in 30-year-old veterans and, and paying them $8 million a year and stuff like that. I think knowing kind of where this franchise is going in the next four or five years is, is best case scenario for this year, knowing kind of Andrew Burnett has a plan and it looks like it's going to work. My favorite little piece of trivia is that the Predators finished the season with the same exact record as the Florida Panthers. Uh, 42, 32, and eight. Um, so slightly um, different ways they got there, but yes. Yes. And I, <laughs> I don't, I think best case scenario, this team next season is basically the same team. It was this season, a team that 
hangs around the periphery of the playoff race throughout the entire season and and either makes or misses the playoffs. My guess is misses the playoffs in the final week of the regular season. I think I I think in my, you know I've been here now for for 8 years and I I when when before the Predators made the announcement that David Poyle was retired the way the season was going before the deadline, before any of the trades, before David Poyle announced his retirement. I can't recall a time since I've been here where consumer confidence in the product was as low as it was at, at that point in time, even lower than it was after they were swept out of the playoffs by the avalanche. Like I think apathy was in significant, was it was in danger of setting in for the predators. And that's the worst thing you want as a, as a, as a fan base you, if, if fans are angry or frustrated, it means they care. You want them to care. If they're apathetic, they don't care. So, so the so the catfish protest was an apathetic catfish protest, is what we're well, saying. Well, it was dead. So that's true. That's um, true. <laughs> so you know, I think that since the announcement of David Poyle's retirement and Barry Trotz coming in and all of the trades at the deadline and the young players playing well or, you know, relative to expectations in a tough spot at the end of the regular season. And now the coaching change, I think for the first time, the predators have a clear stated direction. And I think fans are optimistic or cautiously optimistic about it. Um, you know, none of this competitive rebuild half in half out nonsense. I, I think the predators are prepared to potentially miss the playoffs, you know, if not next season, maybe a couple of seasons. And I think if that's what it takes for this team to get back to contention, I think they're prepared to do that. And I think fans honestly are are prepared to be patient, um, which is not always the case. But I think after so much, you know, headbanging, not the good kind of headbanging, the bad kind of headbanging against the wall of some of the decisions this team has made to try to compete when it was clear to everybody but them that they weren't competitors. I think fans will be willing to take a few lean years if it means actually being competitive at the at the other end of it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna set all of you wonderful, amazing listeners. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to Jasper's, by the way, with uh, all the positives of what both of you just said, and then I'm gonna present a scenario in in which we all lose our minds. Um, I I think it is I think it is extremely welcome and healthy and positive that they are making the clean changes all together at the same time. I think if you're going to do it, you got to do it all together at the same time. It is new GM out out with some pieces, new coach, new system, new identity, new era, new whatever phrase you want to use. It is important that it all happens together at the same time. That allows fans to all understand clearly what is taking place to get behind it. Doesn't mean it's going to be successful, but but it's very easy to understand it and get behind it. Now, so I think we're all in, in favor of what they have done. The selling of the pick, you know, selling of the players, acquiring the picks. Here is the doomsday scenario, however, boys, because I, I don't see them. I thought the record at the end of the season under John Hines was a, was mostly a mirage. It was a bunch of young guys trying to prove, prove themselves, playing way above their heads, a coach trying to prove himself and save his job, d- doing a yeoman's work. I, I think all of that is true. It, none of it was real, in my opinion. But... When you bring Roman Yossi, Philip Forsberg, UC Soros, Ryan Johansson, all these pieces back, I do agree with David Poyle that this is a playoff caliber team, potentially. And if everything goes right, they could make the playoffs in year one, potentially. NHL coaches 
historically have done really good things in their first year, more so in the NHL than anywhere else in, ma- in major sports in America. So let me present to you the doomsday scenario, boys, which is way overachieving in year number one. <laughs> because if they do that, expectations then get changed for year two and three instantly. And that is when Ryan Johansson's contract rolls off. Then the next year, you've got Matt Duchesne's contract rolling off. And then you are asking all these young players to become stars, which, again, is the is the plan. I think one of the worst things that could happen to Andrew Burnett is to overachieve in year one to inflate expectations. Does does that sound am, am I am I crazy for thinking that or is that track in your minds? No, I think you're I think that is reasonable. I think, you know, like I said at the top, do not assume and I don't think anybody is, but do not assume that the Predators are going to become the Panthers under Brunette in terms of how many goals they scored, how good their record was. That's not going to happen. But if you see reasonable progress from the younger players specifically, I think you can be happy. Like there are just, the, the the top players, the older players, they are what they are. Sort of what I was talking about with Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. I, you're not getting any more out of Forsberg, Duchesne, Johansson, Yossi specifically than you've already gotten. Like what they are now is what they are going to be. It just that's just how age aging works. You know, but if you can get more out of Evangelista, Tomasino, Novak, um, you know, et cetera, Parsonin, I, I think, yeah. Parsonin, you know, I think you're going to to be happy as a Predators fan. So, yes, I do think the Predators, you know, shocking the world, so to speak, and having a fabulous season next year would actually be a bad thing for them in the long run. Yeah, I, I agree. Just because if you if Andrew Burnett has, if the Predators have a great year under Andrew Burnett and maybe sneak into the playoffs, that's going to be the expectation from, from here on out for the rest of his career. And if he ever falls short of that, it's going to be like, oh, this guy's a bust. Get him out of here. The same thing we've been dealing with John Hines for the last three years. So, and again, I think, and I think to Adam's point, it's going to be very easy for fans to expect the 21, 22 Florida Panthers out of this roster next year. And they don't have Jonathan Huberdeau, Aaron Ekblad, Alex Barkov, players like that. So I think it's it's going to be a lot of expectation management, not only from Andrew Burnett and, and what he's capable of as a head coach, but for Barry Trotz and what his plan is, his vision is for the four or five year short term future of this franchise. So, yes, I, I do agree if they if they come out and have a great year and set expectations really high. It's 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 going to be what happened with Ellie Tolvanen. You start off here and you never never get past that. You're always down here. Eventually, it's just going to go south. Well, and what's interesting is if we just give them 10 more points, I guess it would have to be 11. Uh, they finished 11 points behind Minnesota. in in That's four more wins, basically. Five more wins-ish. And I would hope that Andrew Burnett is worth four or five more wins with all of the players that are stars being healthy, even if they are what they are, to your point, Adam, I, be, them finishing as a three seed, I don't think is out of the realm of possibility. I, I think that's they have, with UC Soros and the veterans, an influx of young talent and a new system. It's very much within reason that they could be a three seed. I'm not going to go, say, two seed. You know, Dallas was a 108-point team, but 103 points is only 11 points better. That's only a handful of wins per season. And is Andrew Burnett and all those veterans being healthy worth that amount of points? It could pass. It absolutely could happen. And I don't, I honestly don't know if that's a good thing or not <laughs> long term for the team, which sounds like a terrible thing to say uh, and to end on. So I don't want to end on that. Um, 
let's 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 end on on the positive, which is that we we all as media fans, a city, a community, an organization, don't listen to the hot takes and the people yelling about whether or not this is going to work or not. It you, nobody knows. Barry Trotz doesn't know. David Poyle doesn't know. Andrew Burnett doesn't know. None of the three of us know. We are all going to watch and learn the new era of Predators hockey in real time. I I, we're, I know. I don't know if that's the right way to approach it, but like, what people should be excited about is the unknown. It is watching it all unfold. That is what you can be excited about. Hope is the great commodity in sports, boys. Like that is the thing that people sell is hope. And I think when David Poyle started ejecting players and announced his retirement, he injected hope into the fan base. Now there's even more with the new era. Is that is that a good place to end all this? Or do you guys have anything else you want to add about, I don't know, like the Calder Cup or Vegas versus Florida and the most bizarre Stanley Cup final of all time? Anything anything you guys want to add? <laughs> I, I was I told if you cared it. about the Calder Cup, you need to get a life. So Yeah, I haven't watched any of the Calder Cup playoffs. Sorry, guys. Um that's why I have Michael? That's why I have Michael here. I don't have to watch yeah. it either. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't I can't bring myself to do it. Um, no, the Stanley Cup final should be very entertaining. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it. And go to Jasper's where you can I, watch the Stanley Cup final. I will take a mini victory lap. Devin Cooley had a fantastic performance in game, yeah. and I said at the beginning of the year he was someone to watch because I do. He's not the traditional prospect age. He's 26. But I do think he's someone who could potentially earn himself uh, maybe a backup role on an NHL team next year. Because I, with Lincoln and Saros, I just don't think his future is here. But Devin Cooley had a really good performance, kept the Admirals in it, kept them from going down 3-0. So if you are an Admirals fan or an AHL fan, I believe they play tomorrow night, game four in Milwaukee. They could even the series or it could be kind of the, the yep. almost nail and coffin for him. So. Yep, Thursday evening is game number four. I think you could take a lot of victory laps, and I did give you a hard time last week uh, for being petty, just as a joke. Um, but we did mention Andrew Burnett on the pod when we mentioned all the ca- the candidates, so he was absolutely mentioned on the short list of like the three or four names that we mentioned. Um, certainly Carberry was there, Taylor was there, and I think was it uh, Jay Beach, I think was the other name we mentioned. So I think we as a show can take a victory lap. But really, Michael, I think you should take more victory laps because you've been reporting basically – that this was coming for the better part of, I don't know, what, a month and a half, two months now. Um, we didn't exactly know how it was going to go, but we told everybody last week to be patient for a reason. And um, here we are with the new era. So take take a victory lap, Michael. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you and where they can see all your victory laps take place. I don't know about seeing victory laps, but you can read my work at Nashville Hockey Now along with Nick Keezer. We have some great content up. Uh, two stories on Andrew Burnett, one on uh, the higher uh, one on kind of some of the former players I mentioned earlier, what they, how they feel about him, what kind of coach they think he'll be. I have another story coming later today, a little bit more inside information about how the Predators kind of soured on John Hines, how they landed on Andrew Burnett, how, kind of the behind the scenes of how that process worked a little bit. We'll have more. We have draft stuff that we haven't even been able to get to and push out yet because <laughs> head coaching situation has been so prevalent, but we will have plenty of draft stuff as well. Pretty much anything you you want to know about the Predators, we'll have at Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, you can follow the account, the 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 site on Twitter at NSH Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at NG Sports underscore. Uh, go to Jasper's as well, Adam at Adam Vingan on Twitter. Adam, thank you for your time, my man. We do appreciate it. Always a pleasure, boys. October thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight, the very first goal in Nashville Predators history scored by one head coach, Andrew Burnett. 
now in the new era of Predators Hockey. Thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Tell somebody about the product because you will not get better analysis of what is taking place with this franchise than right here on this show. And check out Nashville Hockey Now as well. As I said, go to Jaspers. For Michael and Adam, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard right here on the 440 Sports Network.